this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. talking to you about the Christian faith. The Christian life all begins with faith. That's where it all starts. And the life of faith begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter where you're at in in the period of time, whether you were in the Old Testament or looking in the Old Testament looking forward to the cross or in our day looking back to the cross, it is always faith in the Lord that brings us into a relationship with God. And when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, we find a group of people listed here that had a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And these were extraordinary lives that were changed, or lives that were changed by the extraordinary gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous lives of faith demonstrated through this passage of Scripture. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11 has been called Faith's Hall of Fame. Uh, But there's something very important about these people beyond just the fact that they were in the faith. They not only had faith on the inside, but the people in Hebrews chapter 11, they lived their faith out. Uh, The faith that was on the inside, it could be viewed by people in the world. And that's how faith is supposed to be. Thank you. The 11th chapter of Hebrews comes at the end of a warning chapter. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 10, and you'll remember the writer of Hebrews there in Hebrews 10 encouraged the believers to, to persevere. And he says the very last verse of Hebrews 10, he says, we're not of those that draw back. In other words, real faith keeps on keeping on. It perseveres. And we talked about that, about not quitting, but continuing on for the Lord last week. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about a faith that matters, the Christian faith, the only faith that really does matter. And this morning, I'm going to show you how important it is for us to exercise faith. Now, whether you believe it or not, everybody exercises a little bit of faith. Everybody has some faith. I want to show you that this morning. I want you to, I want you, if you're able, to stand with me for just one moment. Now, I'm not going to read all 40 verses of this passage of Scripture. I've only asked you to stand that I might illustrate a point this morning. All right? Go ahead and be seated. Now you think I've lost my mind, and you're probably right. Let me tell you what just happened. Phone just tore up. That's for one. Let me tell you what just happened, what I just witnessed. I watched a group of people stand up, and I watched you sit back down on that pew, and I didn't see a single one of you turn around and study that pew. I didn't see a single one of you press down on that pew to make sure that pew would hold you. In fact, I didn't see any conversations going on around the building uh, with your neighbor there. Do you think, if I sit down, I'll be okay? 
What I just witnessed was an entire congregation of people put faith in a piece of wood so much that they put their whole body's weight right down on it without even thinking. That, ladies and gentlemen, was a simple but true exercise of faith. You see, everybody has some kind of faith. What I want to talk to you about today is a faith that will do more than give you a place to sit. I'm talking about a faith that really matters in the big picture, a faith that will change your life and where you're going to spend eternity. There's no better place in the Word of God to talk about that kind of faith than from this passage here in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to share three things with you this morning about a, a faith that matters. I may share four, I may share five, but there's, there's a lot here, and we're going to look at all 40 of these verses very quickly this morning, so y'all just buckle in and hang on. I want to show you, first of all, what the Word of God says about the recorded definition of faith. The recorded definition of faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives a twofold definition of faith. Faith, number one, is substance, and faith is evidence. Faith is substance. And faith is evidence. Say that with me, congregation. Faith is substance, and faith is evidence. Now, the writer, of course, tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance literally means, and you get, you can see the word sub kind of clues us into that. Substance means that which is placed under. Substance, that which is placed under. If our faith is our substance, it is something placed beneath us, under us. In other words, our faith is our foundation. It's what we build everything else in the Christian life upon. And without the faith uh, in Christ, everything else in the church, everything else in the Christian life, it, it, it collapses apart from faith. Faith is the foundation. And then secondly, faith is the evidence. And the word evidence here, the evidence of things not seen, evidence here means verification. You ask me today uh, if I can prove the existence of God, and I'll say, sure I can. I prove it by my faith in Him. How, how can you prove that you know you're going to heaven when you die? I'll tell you, I can prove it because I have faith that I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, the world says, well, that doesn't make any sense. You've got to have more than faith. Well, the world can say that to a Christian, but it's surprising that the world, they live by their own kind of faith. You take, for example, the materialist. He's got faith. He's got faith in all of his stuff. And that's how he lives. The humanist, he's got faith. He's got faith in himself and himself alone. That's how he lives. The religionist, they have faith. They've got faith in their good works. If they have enough good works, they believe that their good works will get them to heaven. Uh, the philosopher, he's got faith. His faith is in his own intellect, his own ideas. And so I don't find it strange to say that the Christian, we can have faith too. If everybody else has got faith, why can't we have faith? Yet our faith is not in our own good works or our ideas or, or, or our own uh, ability. Our faith is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we say today that we live by faith, we mean that we accept truth on somebody else's word without having to have them prove it. Now, is there proof? 
for our faith? Of course there's proof for our faith. Is there some evidence for our faith? Of course there's evidence. And you learn about that the longer you live for Jesus. But do we have to have the proof in order to believe? No, we don't. We take it all by faith. And the reason we believe things on somebody else's word is because that somebody's proven himself over and over again that what he says is true. Uh, our faith, the strength of it, is all contingent upon the object of it. Our faith is strong because our faith is in a strong object, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the whole world, they'll look at your faith and they'll say, well, that's ridiculous. Having faith is unreasonable. Believing all that stuff's unreasonable. Well, I guess you could say it's unreasonable. It's also unreasonable to say that a man could rise from the dead after being dead three days, but Jesus did. People say, well, uh, faith just believes the impossible. Well, I agree with that. It's also impossible for a man to walk on water, but Jesus did. The world looks at our faith and says, well, your faith is unexplainable. You've got to be able to explain it. Your faith can't be real. It's unexplainable. Well, I'd, I'd go along with that, too. Of course, it's also unexplainable that many years ago, thousands of years ago, probably 6,000 years ago, uh, God spoke the universe into existence. That's kind of unexplainable, but it happened. And so faith is believing the unreasonable, the impossible, the unexplainable, all because we've got confidence in the one that said it. You look at verse number two. The Bible says, For by it, talking about faith, the elders, that's the Old Testament saints, obtained a good report. When God looked down and saw their faith, God looked at them and he says, Well, they live by faith. They live for me. They did not have, have proof. They just trusted me. And God looks down and he sees them and he says, See that woman of faith down there? See that young man of faith down there? That's one of mine. That they believe me without having to have any proof. They just believe it because I said it. That's a good report. You know, heaven's taken note of how much faith you've got. Heaven notices whether or not you've got faith. I wonder what heaven says about your faith. What does heaven say about my faith? Does God look at me and look at you and say, well, that one over there at Northside, they're absolutely without hesitation, believing the unreasonable, the impossible, the unexplainable, all because I said it. That's what faith is. And in verse 3, the writer of Hebrews gives an illustration. He says, through faith we understand that the world will framed by the Word of God. He says it's only by faith that you can understand the origins of the universe. By the way, if you can believe uh, the creation account by faith, you won't have any problem believing anything else in the Bible. The reason I don't have any problem believing anything uh, beyond Genesis is because I just believe Genesis. I, I mean, if God can create all this with a spoken word, then, then it's not a big deal to me that a God that could do that could also walk on water, could also shut the mouth of a lion, could also let three Hebrew boys uh, be uh, uh, spared through a fiery furnace. I don't have any problem believing uh, in Genesis 1-1, but listen, if you don't believe the creation account by faith, then you'll have an awful hard time believing what the Bible says over in John 3-16 when it starts talking about redemption. Verse 3 says, through faith we understand that the world were framed by the Word of God. It's by faith that we believe that all of this was created by God's hand. 
Ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we do not believe in evolution. We're creations. We believe the Bible. People today, some weak-minded Christians that would straddle the fence and don't have a spiritual backbone more than a spaghetti noodle will try to reconcile science in the Bible and say, well, there has to be an explanation. Uh, Thoughts can't be wrong and the Bible uh, be right and they can't both be right. Uh, or science, we can't say science is wrong because you got all these professors. I ain't got no problem saying professors are wrong. You go into school this week, young people, and you talk with the smartest people in your grade and the smartest teachers in your hallway. And then beyond high school, it's even worse when you get beyond high school. You get into college. You walk down the hallway of a college and you say, well, I believe in creation. I believe God created the earth, heavens and the earth in six literal days. I believe it just as God said it. I don't believe God used evolution. Some people say, well, God used the Big Bang. No, God didn't use the Big Bang, or the Genesis account's not true. It either happens the way Genesis said it, or it didn't happen that way at all. And you go talking that way down the halls of higher learning today, they'll laugh you out of the place. They'll say, well, you can't prove creation without science. Friend, I want you to know science doesn't have anything to say about the ultimate origin of anything. They weren't back there to study it. You start talking about origins, you, you, let me tell you what you've just done. You started moving out of the realm of science into the realm of philosophy. That's what you've just done. Scientists, don't let anybody uh, tweak your belief on this. Scientists have not proved anything about evolution. Scientists don't prove evolution. Scientists think evolution. You ever wonder why they call it the theory of evolution? Because they think it. It's not proven. It's been thought of. And I, I have a, my, even if I wasn't a Christian, I'd have big problems with evolution because their theory is always changing. Uh, many of you know that me and uh, my family, we live in the area where I grew up, and my kids went to the same high school that I went to, walked the same high school hallways that I walked as a boy. And back last year, I noticed one uh, one day during the school year, sitting there on our kitchen table with one of my kids, uh, my daughter's science book, sitting there on the kitchen table. And I picked that thing up, and I always went to the front. You know, people sign their name in the front of the book and want to see if there's anybody I knew. And I, I didn't know any of those folks. The book wasn't two or three years old. It's got, what I immediately noticed is, you know, we had books, and this is not the book that we studied out of. I haven't been out of school that long that I can't, uh, I can't remember what book we had for science. And I, I still remember what the cover looked like. And I looked at that thing, and, and it said the same company, but it said 12th edition. I thought, Lord God, what happened to the first 11 editions? Why do they have to keep revising it? Why do they have to keep changing it? Why does science keep changing and changing year after year? Ladies and gentlemen, then I thought about my faith in Christ and my belief in God and what He says is true about creation. And I'm glad my faith is not based on a book that has to be revised every other year to stay up to date with what's true and what's not. My faith is built on the unchanging Word of God. And when it comes to your faith, God doesn't have to explain Himself. I can take it or leave it. 
but His Word's not going to change. I either believe it by faith or I don't. But for those of us who do believe it, it is our substance. It's our foundation. It's our evidence. The verification that what we believe is true. You don't have to explain it. Today you just have a choice. Choose it or reject it. That's what faith is. Number two, we move into the biggest section of this scripture, and I call this the real demonstration of faith. The real demonstration of faith. Uh, in these next 29 verses, the writer of Hebrews is going to illustrate the life of faith using some real life examples, uh, people who live their life on the basis of their faith in God. And these examples of faith demonstrate itself in three different areas of life. I want to show you three different areas where faith will demonstrate itself in. First of all, the first grouping of people in this chapter show us what a day-by-day faith looks like. Say that with me, a day-by-day faith. And there's four people used to illustrate the day-by-day faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. Talk about their day-by-day faith with me for just a second. Let's think about Abel. You know who Abel was? Abel was the son of Adam and Eve. He had a brother named Cain. You fellow one time he said, "I like to live my life by a biblical uh, uh, by a biblical uh, uh, pattern." I said, "How's that?" He says, "I raised Cain as long as I'm able." <laughs> well, Cain and Abel, two boys, had some trouble back in the beginning. Abel was the son of Adam and Eve, and verse four says, "By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteousness, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh." Abel's faith is demonstrated to us by his worship of God. Abel was raised by the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. So anything Abel knew about worshiping God obviously came from his daddy, Adam. And Adam obviously taught his boys how to approach God. Adam learned over there in the Garden of Eden, if you want to have a relationship with God, an animal sacrifice has to be made. There has to be a covering for sin. And so he taught his boys, if you want to come to God, you must come by way of a sacrifice. Now, Abel probably didn't understand the full implication of it, but what he was doing was a picture of the cross of Jesus to come. He was shedding the blood of an animal that he might have access into the very presence of God to worship God. Abel, I believe, never knew the name Jesus. I don't believe Abel knew uh, about the life of Jesus or the walking on water or the healing of the lame or the virgin birth. I don't believe Abel knew all those things because he lived thousands of years before Jesus ever came to the earth. All he had was a shadow that pointed him to the cross in that sacrifice. And that, ladies and gentlemen, allowed him to worship God. And that's where our day-to-day faith life begins. Without the sacrifice, without the shed blood of Jesus, you and I could not have a relationship with God. We could not worship God. Abel worship by faith. And that's what he teaches us, is that the faith life will worship God day by day. I want to ask you this morning, does your faith life reveal itself in worshiping God? If you've got a real faith, the kind of faith that matters, that faith will bring you to the house of God. That faith will bring you to a place of worship of God. That's Abel. He teaches us about worshiping in your day-to-day life. Then there's Enoch in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch's demonstration of day-by-day faith was this. Day-by-day 
faith in Enoch's life meant my life pleases God. Enoch was a man who walked with God. You can read about his life over in Genesis 5. Enoch lived in a real wicked time. The world had reached a peak of wickedness. God was about to destroy the place. But Enoch's testimony in that wicked Las Vegas cesspool of a world, Enoch's testimony was, I'm living above that. I'm going to please God. Now, I want you to know it was not easy for Enoch to walk with God. It wasn't easy in his culture. I say to you, especially to our young folks, it ain't easy to walk for God in this culture, but you can still do it. You can do it if you've got faith. You see, Enoch teaches us that the way we demonstrate our, demonstrate our faith day by day is by going out and living for Jesus, walking with God. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk contrary to the culture because we have faith in God. I will say this, if your faith has not changed your walk, if you don't walk any different after you thought you got saved, ladies and gentlemen, you didn't get saved. The real kind of faith will change your daily walk in this life. If you want to please God, you can't do it apart from faith. In fact, in, in verse number 6, the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. If Enoch lived a life pleasing to the Lord, it must have been the faith life. He was a real man of faith. His faith showed up in his walk. Then there's old brother Noah. We looked at this passage on Father's Day, verse number 7. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became an heir of righteousness, the righteousness which is by faith. You remember the story of old Noah? Noah was warned of God that a global flood was coming. God's wrath was about to be poured out. Judgment was coming. So what did Noah start doing in his faith life? He went out and he started witnessing for the Lord Jesus. He started telling everybody he could, judgment is coming, get into the ark of safety. Judgment is coming, get into the ark of safety. People come up to Brother Noah and they say, Noah, what are you talking about? Judgment's coming. He says, yes, a flood's coming. A flood's coming. We've never had a flood. Oh, there's coming a flood. How do you know, Noah? Oh, I just believe God. I got faith. So Noah took God at his word. And Noah's faith and what God's word said so changed his life that he was a witness for the Lord. Judgment's coming Get into the ark of safety. I want you to know if you really got the kind of faith that matters, you'll have a day-by-day witnessing faith. Are you going to carry anybody to heaven? Is anybody going to get to heaven because of your witness for Christ? You say, well, I wouldn't know how to witness. Oh, do like no. Judgment's coming. Get in the ark. Who's the ark? It's Jesus. Get in Christ. Real faith is a day-by-day witness for the Lord. And then in verse 8, there's another who demonstrates a day-by-day faith, and that's the life of Abraham. Verse 8 tells us, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, look at it, it says he obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. Abraham demonstrated his faith in Christ day-by-day by obeying God. Don't say that you obey. Uh, have a faith in Christ if you don't ever obey the Word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's nothing wrong with a child of God living right and doing what God says. Abraham had a life that obeyed God by faith, and he waited on God. 
I mean, God told Abraham, he said, now you and Sarah, y'all going to have a, a, a family. Well, that took some faith. Some of that unreasonable faith we talked about. Why, why did it take unreasonable faith? Because they've passed childbearing years. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, they, they were well on up into their 90s now. And God's telling them they're going to they're gonna be new mamas and daddies. Come on now, Lord. Uh, did, I, did I hear something right? Let me clean up my ears. Say that one more time. We're going to have what? We're going to have a baby. So they waited on God. And though their life was less than perfect, they demonstrated faith in that they obeyed God. Uh, they trusted God. They didn't know when it was going to happen or how it was going to happen. They just believed God. Let me tell you something about real faith. Real faith doesn't have to have everything right now. Real faith can wait. Real faith can trust God. Real faith trusts God to bring it to pass when God gets good and ready. And all these people had day-to-day faith because uh, or, or, or their life daily, day by day, was changed because of their faith in God. And if your faith in God isn't changing your day-to-day life, if it doesn't change you Monday through Saturday, it's not the kind of faith that matters. You, you better back up and see if you've got the real faith. Because the way you believe will always affect the way you behave. Let me say that again. The way you believe will always affect the way you behave. These people had a day-to-day faith, a faith in God that changed the way they behave, a day-by-day faith. Faith is also demonstrated in this passage of Scripture, not only as a day-by-day faith, but as a dying faith. In verses 20, 21, and 22, we're reacquainted with three men from your Old Testament, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And all three of these men show us that the faith life changes the way you approach death. I love that old song we sung just a minute ago, I'm living by faith and I feel no alarm. I am living by faith. If Jesus carries his coming long enough, one of these days I'm going to be dying by faith. Why don't we ever sing about that? I'm dying by faith. Do you know dying faith is real? Dying faith is real. I got, I, I, I got, a, I got a good mind that one of these days when I come to uh, death's uh, door, I'm not going to be afraid to die. And I want you to know I'm not dreading death right now. Why? Because by faith, I believe what's on the other side of death. By faith, I believe that one moment I'm going to be here and absent from here and present with the Lord. By faith, I believe death's going to be one more breath here, breathe it out, family cries, breathe in the next breath, hello, Lord. I believe that's the way death is going to be for me. I believe I'm going to heaven, not because of how good I've been, but because of my faith. In Christ. So when it comes my time to die, I'm going to have dying faith because I've been saved. Listen, my family's not going to have to call some preacher at 3 o'clock in the morning, get him up out of bed, or run over to my house and tell me about Jesus. Listen, when I get to death, if it's in the middle of the night, dying faith's going to meet me in that moment. And like the old song we sing, I know in that moment he'll hold to my hand as over death's river I go, and safe I'll be in beautiful heaven, I know. I'm going to have a dying faith. Isaac had a dying faith. Isaac was the son of Abraham, and verse 20 tells us when it came his time to die, he called his sons together and he blessed them concerning things to come. Isaac was a man that even in death, he was longing for God to do what he promised. In his death, he had hope. In his death, he got closer to the Lord. 
The closer he got to the Lord, and, and, and the, the closer he got to death, the closer he uh, got to the Lord, and he died longing for heaven. There used to be an old gospel song that says, I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on the day that Jesus calls my name. I want to die like that. I believe Isaac did. He had a dying faith. Then look there at verse 21. We're reintroduced to the man named Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob the con man. He's the con man. God saved him and changed his life. Started making him what he ought to be. Oh, he had hiccups in the faith even after he got saved. But he, he slowly and, and uh, methodically and continuously became more and more like the Lord. The longer he lived with the Lord. Verse 21 tells us about his death. That in his dying days, that he blessed his sons and he worshipped God. Look at verse 21. By faith, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. In his death, he left his family a testimony, a testimony of the faith. He died worshiping God. Oh, I, I don't want to die with people around my, uh, my bed uh, running around in a panic trying to keep me alive. I'd like to die with some old saintly members of my family singing some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. That's how I want to go out. He had a dying faith, and I believe for the rest of his boy's life, I believe they remembered how their daddy worshipped God on his deathbed. I wonder today when it comes time in your life for you to die, are you going to die in the faith? Are you going to die worshiping God? Are you going to leave a testimony for others uh, after you're gone? I tell you, you ought to live your life in such a way that it makes it easy for the preacher to preach your funeral. And he don't have to him haul and guess about where you're at in eternity. Somebody say amen. Jacob had a dying faith. He left a testimony. And then in verse 22, we read about Joseph. Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. You can preach a whole sermon series on Joseph, and I might just do it one day, but this verse takes one snapshot of his life, and that's the moment he died. And right before he died, he said, when I die, don't you bury me over here in Egypt. What you want us to do with your bones? Tell the children of Israel to put my bones in a box and take them out of Egypt. Well, how do you know we're going out of Egypt? We're going to be here, apparently, for another 400 years. How do you know we're going? Because God said we wasn't going to stay here. So they said, put my bones in a box. So uh, Joseph died. They put his bones in a box. He died believing that they was getting out of there one day, that they weren't going to stay in Egypt because God had promised something better in his death. He showed faith of a better land. And so when God gave the deliverance to the Jewish people and Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and he got to the Red Sea and parted the waters with the staff of his hand. They began to march by all two million of them and somebody in that crowd was hauling a box of 400 year old bones because a man named Joseph had faith in God. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's the reason we ought not to forget the faith of our forefathers. They hauled his bones around for 400 years remembering his faith. In the church, we ought not try to erase the faith of those gone by. And then, Joseph believed the promise of God. I want you to know today, if your faith is the real thing, it'll demonstrate itself even when you're taking your last breath. Hallelujah. Now we come to the last two characters used to illustrate the faith life, and these characters are Moses and Rahab. Moses and Rahab show us what a delivering faith looks like. 
of these two uh, characters, starting here in verse 23. The writer begins to review the life of Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt, but he chose not to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be uh, a slave with his people. He chose to suffer affliction. And so God met with Moses and spoke to him out of a burning bush. And Moses went back to his people and he said, we're not going to stay over here in Egypt. God says we're getting out of here. So God tells Moses, go over to Pharaoh's house and tell the, pe- tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses obeyed. Why did Moses do what God told him to do? Why did Moses go up against the most powerful man in his government? Because Moses trusted God more than he trusted government. Somebody say amen right there. And so he had the kind of faith that was going to get him delivered. And he walked in there to Pharaoh time and time again. Pharaoh should have killed him for being such a nuisance. But verse 27, look at what it says. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How do you trust something that's invisible? How do you see the unseen God? The same way he saw it's the same way I believe it this morning. I can't see God and I can't tell you what Jesus looks like, but I believe him by faith. Faith. And that was a faith that delivered Moses. He went out across the Red Sea on dry ground. Then there's another person here who was delivered. Her name was Rahab. She was a girl from Jericho, and the Bible describes her as a harlot. That's a, that's a, a strong word in the Bible, a harlot, a prostitute. Rahab was an outcast. She lived under condemnation. She's a Gentile woman living over there in Jericho. Aren't you glad God gives old outcasts? Harlot, prostitute, condemned Gentiles, an opportunity to have faith and believe in God. Aren't you grateful for that? Some of y'all ought to say amen or you might not be saved. Thank God that he gives uh, uh, an opportunity to believe. Where did Rahab's opportunity to believe? I don't know who the messenger was, but somebody came over around Rahab's house talking about the God that had delivered the Israelites across the Red Sea. She had her opportunity right there to take it serious or just to... Uh, mark it off as a whim and just go on about her business. And she said, no, there's something about these people. There's something about their God. And right there, she trusted and believed in the God of the Bible. She believed in so much, her belief was put to the test. God sent some spies to her house to see whose team she's going to play for. And she decided she's going to play for King Jesus. She said, I'll hide the spies in my house. They left out of there. She let a scarlet thread down the window. And then when the walls came tumbling down, they all came tumbling down, except that little spot right there next to Rahab's house. Her faith in God got her delivered. I want you to know God took that girl from a hall of shame to the hall of fame. Here, she went from being a, a prostitute to a child of the king. That's faith that will deliver an old sinner. One of these days, my faith in Christ is going to deliver me too from this old God-hating world into a place called heaven. All these people in Hebrews 11 had faith. And it was a faith that wasn't tucked down on the inside. People say, oh, i got to keep my faith in here. That's the devil's crowd telling you that. People say, oh, I can't live my faith out at school. That's the devil's crowd telling you that. People say, oh, you can't have faith in the public arena. Well, our forefathers 200 years ago had a backbone and enough courage to have faith in the public arena. What's wrong with you? Somebody say amen or oh me. We can have faith if we want to. Not tuck it down on the inside. Live it out for the world to see. 
verse 32, he says, the writer of Hebrews says, if I had more time, and he, he must have knew that I'd be preaching along about right now, not near done, and it'd be five kills. So the writer of Hebrews says, if I had more time, I'd tell you about Gideon, and about Jephthah, and about Barak, and about Samson, and Samuel. This book, he says, is filled with lives of people that had real faith that they were not ashamed of. I wonder what about you this morning? Do you have a faith that comes out one day a week? Some people have a one day a week faith that comes out on Sunday. Like a groundhog. You preach on that one day. Groundhog faith. Just comes out and then runs. First time it sees its shadow. Or do you have a faith that will stay out Monday through Saturday? Real faith demonstrates itself day to day in, 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 in death and in deliverance. Let me hurry on. Got two more things I want to tell you about. Starting in verse 33, we see the railing difficulty of faith. I like reading stories of faith where there's a happy ending, like the walls of Jericho falling. Now that's a happy ending. Like the sea, the Red Sea being departed and Pharaoh's army being drowned. That's a happy ending. Verse 33, 9 to 35 talks about those happy endings. People having faith, starting in verse 33, it says they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. There's old Daniel. But verse 34, quenched the violence of the fire. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong, valiant, and fight, turned to flight, and the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. All these good stories about faith. All that's wonderful. Wonderful when faith does wonderful things in your life. I love when faith opens the gateway to the miraculous. But if we're going to be fair, and we're going to be balanced, and I like to be fair and balanced, we also have to understand that oftentimes our faith will also bring railing difficulty into our life. But that's not what the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers preach. And I find it ironic. They say that they preach a full gospel, but they don't ever talk about this. I want you to follow me for just a second. The brother of Hebrews doesn't shy away from telling uh, the, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You want to know what the full gospel is? You want to know what the whole truth is? Look there in verse 36. Verse 36 talks about those others. Underline that word, others, in your Bible. The others. And others, others in the faith, had a trial of cruel mockings and scourging. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. Verse 37, saw the sunder, were tempted, slain with a sword, wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented of whom the world was not worthy. All because of their faith. Everybody likes to talk and brag and go on about their faith when their faith is delivering them from their enemies. What are you going to say about your faith when your faith delivers you to your enemies? When your faith puts you in the trouble? There's enough folks out there today teaching this garbage to make me sick. Teaching, oh, if you'll have enough faith, God will turn you into some sort of spiritual celebrity. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's not true according to the Scriptures. That's not even true in some of your lives. Last week we were out there in North Dakota. I looked at young people that were debating whether or not they should give their life to Christ and turn from their pagan religion, all because they wondered for fear of what their families might do to them if they turned to Christianity. Well, tell me the faith life easy. I know some people that got saved, God called them to be a missionary in the armpits of the world. Don't tell me the faith life's easy. Paul lived for the faith and ended up with his head chopped off. Tassie Bernal 
A young girl in our generation lived the faith life out of Columbine High School and it got her staring down the barrel of a shotgun when she said, yes, I believe in God. Her life was snuffed out. Don't tell me the faith life is always easy. Sometimes faith does deliver you, but sometimes faith doesn't. Sometimes God says, trust me and I'll give you more faith. Don't you know it's easy for us to walk out of here strutting saying, oh, we got faith. When everything's going right and you got plenty of money in your bank and you're perfectly healthy. You don't have any faith when you go to the doctor this week and the doctor says, well, it looks like you're not going to be healed. When God chooses not to heal the cancer, what, what are you going to do this week if you lose your job and everything you have and your car gets repossessed and they uh, foreclose on your mortgage? You say, well, God promised me He'd take care of all my needs. Well, He'll give you a place to live, but He didn't promise you you have to live in that place you're living in now, driving that car you're living now. What if you lose it all? Oh, I believe if I have enough faith, I'll keep all that stuff. Well, you didn't read about Jesus. You see, Jesus, He didn't have a place to lay His head. And He walked everywhere He went. Sometimes God has to test our faith. Well, Adrian Rogers said, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. What if God tests your faith this week? You're going to throw it all away and lay out of church next Sunday and say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to live the faith life anymore because it's just too hard. What if you're not in faith's hall of fame next week? Come into the week and you don't get recognized in Sunday school. You don't get recognized at church. All your co-workers that know you're a Christian, what if they don't pat you on the back for how good of a believer you are? What if you're a nobody for Jesus? You know, the Bible talks about these that went through hard times there in verse 36 and 37. It doesn't even name their names. We don't even know who they are. They got no recognition. Yet verse 38 says the world wasn't worthy of them. So you just listen to me this morning. You live by faith. If the world doesn't appreciate you, if they don't pat you on the back and give you accolades, you just remember this. God's keeping a record of your faith. And if you'll stick with God, no matter how, get, how difficult it gets, God's going to reward your faith one day. And that's when we get to the end of chapter 11 and see, we see number four, the rewarding delight of faith. Verse 39 reminds us those Old Testament saints, as faithful as they were, they didn't receive the promise when they died. They didn't receive the promise. What happened to them? They went down to Abraham's bosom. They didn't go straight to heaven when they died. They went into Abraham's bosom. That was a place of pleasure. But they stayed there. Why? Because their salvation wasn't complete. They were waiting on Christ to come. They were waiting on Christ to come. And when Christ came, he led captivity captive according to the book of Ephesians. He led them out of there. And I'd love to have been there when the promise got fulfilled in old Abraham's life. And he says, look here, Sarah, we have finally found that city whose builder and maker is God. I'd love to see old Rahab, the woman that normally walked under the cover of darkness because of the shame of her life, when they applauded as her, her as a trophy of grace when she walked down the streets of gold. And they said, come on in, gal. Let us show you this wonderful city called heaven. Oh, what a delight it must have been. Verse 39 says, And these all, having obtained a good report, received not the promise. God was waiting on Jesus to come. Verse 40 says, God having provided some better thing for us, that faith without us should not be made perfect. Well, I'd love to have been there when they got their promise. How'd they do it? By faith. They had faith looking back to Calvary. Or looking ahead to Calvary, excuse me. You and I were on this side of the cross. We weren't there. We've we got faith looking back at the cross. 
How do you get saved today? The Bible says for by grace we're saved through faith. Through faith. Whether the Old Testament, New Testament, you have to get saved the same way. Faith in Christ. And when you place your faith in Christ, there's a reward waiting for you. What is faith? Faith is believing in something you can't see. Do you know one of these days you're not going to need faith anymore? One of these days, the Bible says, they shall see His face. One of these days, faith is going to turn into sight. When you come into the end of your life, the only faith that's going to matter uh, in this life is the faith in Jesus Christ that you have. You can have faith in your bank account and die and bust hell wide open. You can have faith in your education and be as smart as you want to be on this earth and be dumb in eternity for dying without Christ. Your confidence in your religion isn't going to matter either. You can be a, a member on every church roll in Dallas, Georgia. And there's probably some folks here today that probably have been. Y'all all right? And I want to say today, don't look at me and grin if you would. I, I'm telling you, you can be on every church roll. You, you can be baptized in every pond, every baptistry around this town. You can have all the religion that you can stand and still die in your sin and go to hell because faith in the church and faith in religion doesn't save you. It's faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus. The only faith in Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.